So we're starting now Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, picking up where we left off last time. Now when Jesus heard that John was taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting and, and, and those who were sitting in, in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you see that in verse 12, it says that John was taken into custody. And we know from other parts of Scripture, John was, was Jesus' cousin, so they were related. John was six months older than Jesus. John was thrown into prison because he challenged, King, he challenged Herod. Actually, this was not the same Herod that was King Herod when, when Jesus was born. This was his son now. And he actually didn't have the title of king. The son didn't have the title of king for that reason. The, only the, the father did. And that was a special granting to him uh, uh, when he made request to Caesar Augustus. But, um, so this Herod was actually... Uh, living with a woman named Herodias, who was, who was uh, his brother Philip's wife. So the king was living with his brother's wife, and John challenged him on that, John being a prophet. And so this woman was not at all, upset, w- w- was not at all happy about that, so she had John, through her husband, th- through this man she was living with, through Herod, thrown into prison. So John was taken into custody and taken off the scene. So his preaching ministry essentially came to an end at this time. And then after, after a period of time, uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure how, how long it was, but after a period of time after this, maybe a year or so of, of being in prison, maybe two, he was actually uh, beheaded. But when he was thrown into prison, look what Jesus does. He, he withdraws and he goes into the land of Galilee. So he, he uh, um, left the town of Nazareth and went into Galilee. And then it says, so now he's in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then it says in verse 15 and 16, there's a prophecy from the Old Testament that's quoted. And it says in verse 16, and the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light dawned. Jesus moved into a region of the world, uh, of, of Israel now that it says was generally in great darkness. Jesus went right into that region of greatest darkness. And it says, now a light was shining. And this is exactly what happens in our lives. Jesus will come, and there is the light of God that comes in, into, into areas where we might be working in a certain place, and somebody, somebody comes who's a believer and starts working there, and the light of God begins to move in. And the whole question is, will we respond to the light of God? And then when Jesus comes into our life, and we make a commitment of faith, because the scriptures say that we need to be able to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead, and we shall be saved. So this is the criteria for salvation according to Romans 
chapter 10, verse 9, that we are really believe that Jesus is Lord and be willing to confess that. And belief in our heart that Jesus has raised from the dead. This is what it means to be saved. It says in Romans 10, 9, this is the basis of our salvation. So if somebody says that, you know, well, you know, I believe Jesus is Lord, the issue then becomes, what about the physical resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus has risen physically from the dead? If he has, if you believe that, then it says there is a position there that that person is in of salvation. But the question then becomes, what do we do with that? Many people will say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe that. But are we willing to allow Jesus Christ into our hearts to have an effect? It says the people were sitting in darkness and they saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light dawned. Jesus came to be around them. Is that going to have an impact on our lives? If it doesn't change our lives, there is a problem. There is a real problem with us if it doesn't change our lives. The presence of Christ in our lives should make us different than people of the world. That is just the way it ought to be. He changes our lives, and we're going to see more of that. And then in verse 17 it says, Jesus, from that time, began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, when John came preaching, it says, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was now taken off the scene. What does Jesus do? He comes and he preaches exactly the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What the enemy meant for evil by taking John off the scene, Jesus put it right back in his face and said, okay, you want to take John out? Well, how do you like this? Here is the Son of God coming and saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this kingdom that he was preaching was the messianic kingdom. Meaning that the Messiah had come. And had Jesus been received by Israel, had he been received, he would have reigned from Jerusalem as king in that time. It's when he wasn't received that a new kingdom was established, which the New Testament refers to as the mystery kingdom, which we'll learn more about. And the messianic kingdom will come after the mystery kingdom now, and that that will be for a thousand year period, where Christ will reign from the city of Jerusalem. But this is what he's preaching. He's preaching that the messianic kingdom has come to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are many things that happen to our lives to upset us. Look what happens. Jesus' beloved relative, John, who baptized him, who he probably had interactions with and grew up with as children, is now taken and thrown into custody. And what could Jesus have done? Jesus could have sat there and sucked his thumb and say, Oh, this is terrible. How could you allow John to be taken into custody? Don't you know he was having such an effective ministry? But look what he does. It says that he leaves his town, he goes into Galilee, and he starts preaching exactly the same message. The things that come upon us in life are not there to utterly destroy us. There may be things that happen to us that set us back for a time, that cause us to have to pull away for a time to recover. But it was never meant to destroy us. We must learn how to get up and move on. How to learn to get up and move on. Look in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 14. 
Matthew chapter 14 mentions about, about, um, about uh, when John was killed. It says, it says um, let's pick it up in verse 6, Matthew chapter 14, verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of the dinner guests. And he sent and he had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported it to Jesus. So here, John sat in prison for opposing Herod about, about uh, this woman Herodias that he was living with, who was, who was really his uh, sister-in-law. So this woman didn't like it at all, so she said, let's take out the prophet. This was her perfect chance. The king had made an oath to her daughter because she danced so well, a, a foolish oath, but it, because of his dinner guests, he had to grant this. She asked for the head of John the Baptist on the platter. They went, they beheaded him, brought the head to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother, and I guess the mother then was satisfied. But it says they came and they reported it to Jesus. And then in verse 13, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the other cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. You see, Jesus, when his relative was beheaded, he withdrew to get alone for a while. But even in that, he couldn't get alone. The crowds followed him. And he healed them there. There may be a time because of things that happen in life where we need some time alone. But that time should not be forever. That time should be for a period of recovery. And often, one of the best ways to help us to recover is to begin to get back in the routine of service. Jesus does this very thing. In Matthew chapter 4 as well. When his, his cousin was taken into custody, thrown into a prison, it says that he went, and he went to this place, and he started to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The things that hit us in life are not there to destroy us. They may, in fact, be there to get us to move on. There may be a time of recovery, but we must move on. We must begin to move forward. And then Jesus in verse 18, starts to call his disciples. In verse 18, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now we know from the other Gospels that this is not the first meeting that Jesus had with these disciples. In fact, John himself, John the Baptist himself, had introduced his disciples and, and said, you, you know, here is the Lamb of God, and they went and they started following Jesus. 
So they had already met him and had interactions with him. Remember, Matthew is not a chronological gospel, meaning it does not occur in chronological order. And you say, well, why would anyone ever write an account like that? Because they are writing not as Americans. Matthew is not an American. Did you know that? <laughs> How could that be? He's speaking English. Um, isn't, it, isn't this an American language? Luke's gospel actually is chronological. And he reports it as such, as is the book of Acts. Chronological. And so we can actually follow the chronological order in the book of, in the book of Luke. And then we can use that as a basis because... Matthew's message here was to show the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And that's why you will often see him quoting Old Testament scriptures, because he was trying to show the Jews that in fact Jesus was the Messiah. And to Jewish history, in this way, chronological order was not important. It is not the key to telling a story in all ways. He has got a theme, and his theme is Jesus the Messiah. But he goes and he calls these people, he sees Simon who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and, he's ca- and they're casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And the appeal from God upon us, upon every one of us, is Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And what happens to most of us is that we like our fishing. We really like our fishing. We like the stinking smell of fish more than reaching out and trying to save men's souls. Or we say, no, why don't you just give me, oh, three or four years and then maybe I'll decide to come. But remember, there was only a three or four year window here. About a three year window that Jesus was going to minister. Look at what he does with men's lives. He took Peter and he took Andrew, his brother, And look at what he did with them. And here is also the calling of James and John. James was the first martyr in the church. He was the one who who was killed. Actually, not the first martyr. That was Stephen. But James was killed early on in the church. The first of the apostles to be killed. This James. John was the last of the apostles to be killed. John, it says, may have lived up to almost a hundred years old. So John lived a long time. His brother didn't. But he called them at this instant. These, these four men that he called, these were fishermen. All they did was catch fish. We would have known nothing about them had they not accepted his call. God's call on all of us comes. But very few people, even among believers, accept his call. Very few believers accept the call of God on their lives. You know, as I am now in middle age and my career has hit a certain level, you know what gives me the most fulfillment? Is what I'm doing right now. My career without the ability to share Christ would be really painful and discouraging. If all I had to do was write another paper, write some some other article about how to synthesize an organic compound that, like, four people in the world would read. You know, that would be quite discouraging. But what I can do each day is when I walk into my office knowing that I can impact young lives, that gives me great joy. These men would have been 
fishermen, we would have known absolutely nothing about them in history had they not accepted the call of Christ. And Jesus says, you can go on and you can continue to clean out your stinking little fish or you can serve me and I will make you fishers of men and you will see men's hearts turn to the living God and these souls will then last forever. This is what he offers us. And we say, well, that's kind of a hard decision. I'm not sure which I want. You know, these stinking fish really do smell kind of good. I've grown to like the smell of stinking fish. Or maybe, you know, I'm just a young guy. Let me just enjoy fishing for a few years. And when I get old and I get Alzheimer's and my hands are shaking, then I'll come and serve you. Because, you know, I can't thread that fish hook very well anymore. Because my hands are shaking. No, He calls us in our lives. He calls us and He says, Will you devote your life to Me? Or do you want to continue to mend fishing nets? There is a call upon our lives. And what we have to do is to say, Okay, this is my occupation. This is my career. Do you want Me to change it? If not, let Me use this career for the glory of God. When I was graduating as, uh, from, from undergraduate school, I thought I was going to become a missionary. And I had applied to mission organizations, and they took me. You know, I was accepted. And then I thought, you know, well, maybe I should go to graduate school and study more, because I had really gotten into international student ministry, and I was reaching out a lot to international students. So I went to graduate school with the intent of having an international student ministry. And I did. We had this outreach to international students. And then it became obvious that in the university culture, there weren't too many believing professors, and I could have a huge impact here, touch lots of people that missionaries never touch. And God began to open doors. And I'm telling you, this is what brings fulfillment. And there is tremendous blessing upon my work because of the service to Christ. God does that. I studied with a lot of very smart people. But God has allowed my career to excel theirs, not because I'm smarter than them. Actually, I'm not nearly as smart as them, and I don't know as much chemistry as they know. But God's blessing is there. And He allows me to be fishers of men, even in my work. And I can touch lives of people that never would have been touched. And it really brings fulfillment. When I get to the end, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I wish I had written one more paper in the year 2005. I mean, that won't even come into view. But I know that I will reflect back, which I often do, over this class and the students that have been touched in this class. When I see young people getting married in the Lord and having families and raising them for Christ and being excited about God and serving God in whatever capacity, this brings me great fulfillment. Those are the things that will fulfill us as human beings. Because the vast majority of Americans say that they have no fulfillment in their work. Because they're fishing. They're cleaning fish. They haven't realized what it is to serve Christ. There is a call upon us, a call in discipleship, to follow Him. And then it says, even in verse, in, in, in verse 21, it says that James and John were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, the greatest hindrance to believers, and I see it, is not the devil. 
It really isn't. Jesus gives us great victory over the devil. The greatest hindrance to believers going on in service to God is Christian parents. Yeah. Parents who claim to be Christians, but they don't want their kids doing anything that will reach out and draw them away from the city in which they live because they want to have their kids living right next to them so that they could have a good relationship with the grandchildren because they're more concerned about themselves and their relationship with their kids and their grandkids than they are about the kingdom of God going forward. God, take my kids and send them to whatever part of this earth that you want. If you want them here in Houston next to me, I guess I'll endure it. But, but if you could send them to Israel or to China or to some other place to share, do it. Do it. Gladly send them wherever you would have them to maximize the impact for your kingdom. Do it. For your kingdom, I offer them to you. Say, so, aren't those dangerous places? Well, you know, if I lose one, I got three others. I mean, that's why you have more than one kid. <laughs> It's true. You offer them up to the Lord. It's not this life alone. This is what it is to be a believer. Right, Shireen? Isn't this the way you talk all the time? You're not. Look in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone... Who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And do not think I came into the world to bring peace, for I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the enemies of a man will be the members of his own household. That's what the Scriptures say. That's what Jesus says. And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He says, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He did not come to call twelve men to keep them cloistered and bring peace in their lives and tell them how wonderful people they are and stroke them every Sunday morning. He did not. He took 12 men and he threw them into situations and he said, you feed them. Me? You! You feed them! And then after he, he left this earth, he left them and he said, you go now in the power of the Holy Spirit and preach in my name. And some of them got killed. Here and there they got killed. One after another after another. They got killed. Jesus is not into our comfort in this life. He is into putting us into situations that will stretch us and draw us closer to Him through that. Every bit of who you are and advancement that you are has come because of trouble in your life. Not because of peace. Not because of comfort. 
Everything of who you are and your character that is strong and good has come because of trouble that has come upon you in life. God has a way of doing things with us through troubles, through persecutions. He says, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, for I came to bring a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the enemies of a man will be the members of his own household. Very often we make decisions to serve the Lord that our parents may not agree with. And I am very, very big on kids obeying their parents and as they get older, honoring their parents, as the Scriptures say. But when it comes to receiving the Lord to salvation, if our parents don't say, don't receive the Lord, as my parents did, you receive them anyway. You receive the Lord anyway. If it comes to preaching the gospel, if your parents just say, no, don't preach, you preach anyway. That is the testimony of Scripture. When it comes to service to the Lord, parents always want to protect their kids. Because we never really learn how to release. And Jesus says, if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. As parents, we need to take that to heart. If we love our kids more than we love Jesus, we do them a disservice. And if we love our mother or father more than we love Jesus, we are doing our parents a disservice. Because we are choking out our very lives. There is a cost in discipleship. And he who desires to save his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life for the sake of Jesus shall keep it to life eternal. This is where life is. And we understand that. I mean, the kid doesn't wake up, want to wake up in the morning and go to school. Oh, my poor boy, you, you're so tired. Yeah, don't go to school today. What do you say? No, get up and go to school. You're tired. You get up, you go to school anyway. Because we know in the end, school is going to be good for them. It's the same with spiritual things. It is through turmoil, through work, through service to Him that we grow. And so often we want to stick there and be a doctor and a lawyer and an Indian chief and just stay there. And God calls us to so much more. And we go into this work situation we think, well, I'm not really allowed to witness. Oh, yes, you can. In any situation in this country, you can witness in many ways. You can invite people into your home and share, well, you know, I'm, I, you know I, 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 it's hard to invite people in at Christmas. We're having out-of-town guests. Well, pull on your out-of-town guests. If your out-of-town guests can't receive some unbelievers in the home, and in fact, it's better to have unbelievers in the home during the holidays when you have your, your family and out-of-town guests. You know why? Because when it's just family, you end up fighting. But when you have out-of-town guests, you've got to be on your good... When you have guests that, 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 that are from workplace and stuff, you have to be on your best behavior. And you can't just sit there and say, oh, this person said a nasty word to me, so I think I'll just sulk the whole time over the holidays. No, you have to get up and you have to be nice because you have these other people visiting. It draws us beyond ourselves to give, to do something. And that's why he said, give up your stinking fishing boat and follow me. Well, Jesus, how about if I follow you for three days a week and then I come back and do fishing four days a week? He says, follow me. We are going. Well, my father's here and you know, he's not that strong. It's hard to him to... Do you want to follow me or not? Do you want to follow me or not? 
There is a cost in following Him. But if we don't follow Him, remember, we cut out our lives. We would have heard nothing of, of, of Peter and Andrew, James and John. They would have vanished into oblivion upon death. Now, what do we do? We read about their lives. We emulate their lives. We critique their lives. These people have been analyzed more than any other people on the face of this earth. There's more books written about this book than anything else. Why? Because they chose to follow Jesus. You want to have an impact in your life? You want it so that when you lay down your head at the end of your life, and you say, hey, this has been a good life. Look at all these people that have been touched for the Lord and moving on with God because of me. This is a good thing because of what God has done in my life. You say, well, you know, I might, I might die earlier. Well, good. Better to die young than to die old having accomplished nothing and just, you know, shaking and drooling and, you know, what, what good is that? You'll go out in a burst of glory for Him. It is much, much better. Do it for Him. This is what He called them to. They say, well, Peter was, you know, crucified upside down. They say, well, good. What about the guy next to him in the other boat? Have you ever heard about him? Nothing. Probably fell in, 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 you know, in the sea during a storm and got eaten by fish. You know, that's what happened to him. It is much better to serve Christ, and that's what He calls us to. And when situations happen in life, and, oh, my life is so upset, you know, I, you know I, something happens. And I, got, I dented my car. It's not the end of the world. You go on. You go on. You serve the Lord. There are situations that happen in life and you press on and serve God. And it's in service to God that we get a right perspective. And it's in service to God that we really overcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the call of God and the call of discipleship is real upon our lives. Father, I pray for these young people that they would begin to yield to this. To yield to this call. Father, that whatever work that You have called them to, that they would serve faithfully in that job in a way that glorifies You, that affects other people to want to choose the ways of Christ. Father, that they would learn the glories of what it is to follow You. And as Your Word says, that if they are ashamed of You, You will be ashamed of them when You come in Your kingdom with the holy angels. You would be ashamed of them if they are ashamed of You. Father, thank You for the call to discipleship. That if we desire to save our life, we lose it. Father, I pray that they would not desire to save their lives, but they would lay down their lives for You and hence keep it to life eternal. Father, I pray for the blessings of God upon their lives, that they would choose to follow You. Father, I pray for those here who have come from Christian homes, who may have become lethargic in their faith. Father, I pray that You would shake them. Bring them through the shaking necessary that they would see how fleeting life really is, and that they would make a decision to follow You and to image Christ in their work and to set apart time to share Christ to those around them. Father, that they would be able to give up their stinking fishing nets, 
to follow you. Father, I pray that you draw them out of themselves and let them see what it is to live gloriously in Christ. And Lord, I commit them to you. Oh, Father, have mercy on these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.